Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today is our 4,250th episode special. Now, you'll recall a few weeks back that a listener sent me an email and asked me how I found the programs that I use for the podcast. And I decided it would be interesting to play something that kind of came about as a result of digging through the internet. In this case, this is from a program I found at the Internet Archive, while going through something like a hundred different posts containing Australian old-time radio programs. And today we're going to bring you an episode of an Australian crime anthology program. Now, there were a variety of Australian crime anthology shows. Now, some might have been similar to U.S. programs, which often told imaginative recreations of the activities of criminals. And what I mean by imaginative recreations is that you will have crime stories that were dramatized for radio. And all of the criminals died before any one of them could talk to the police. Yet the radio program will write dialogue and write things in detail on how these criminals were, what their personalities were, and how they related to each other. But that's what I mean by imaginative recreations. That's not what we're getting today. Because other anthology programs would kind of mix things up as to whose perspective they were looking at a case from and what type of story they were telling. And that brought me to Police File. Police File was a series that focused on the work of the Commonwealth Investigative Branch, or CIB. Australia's police forces have undergone some reorganization, so I don't believe you would actually find a modern agency called the CIB. But it was, I think, somewhat current in the mid-1950s. The episode I'm going to play today is the only one that I think is really a good fit for our podcast. And I will say I don't have a date for this episode, but based on internal evidence, I think it was... Uh, probably from 1955 or 56, sometime in the mid-50s. The series originated in Sydney, where it was broadcast at 7 p.m. on Sunday night over radio station 2GB. And then there was also a broadcast in Adelaide, Australia, at 9 p.m. on Sunday nights on station 5AD, which is now known uh, by the call sign 5ADD. The series was sponsored by Calder Refrigeration Company, and in 1955, the series would be renamed the Calder Police Report. With that said, let's bring you today's episode of Police File, Mr. One by One. Police File.
true crime stories which made banner headlines in your newspapers. Stories as in the files of your police department, and gathered from the records of one of the largest newspaper organizations in the Southern Hemisphere. Tonight we glance at the file on Edward Charles Wilson. As usual, all names used are fictitious, but the facts are true in this story of how your CIB trapped the man who was probably the most accomplished counterfeiter in the history of crime. They called him Mr. One by One. alone down the broad highway of crime. Like most counterfeiters, he was a quiet man, studious, thoughtful. He carried his capital equipment under his hat, and his tools of trade could be fitted into a small suitcase. And then he would stop and consider a purchase. And his hand would go to his wallet, and he would extract one banknote. A banknote for ten pounds. As he looked at it, his eyes were not covetous, but admiring, proud. After all, hadn't he made it himself? Then he would look up and say, Could you change this? I'd like it in singles, if you don't mind. The bank manager waited for one of his senior officials. As he waited, he stared thoughtfully at the piece of paper that lay on the desk in front of him. The bank manager was a very worried man. Come in. Oh, Lynette. Come in. Is it about the Williamson account, sir? No. Uh, sit down, Bennett. Look at this. Hmm. A perfectly ordinary tenor. Is it? Hmm. Well? Well, I'll, uh, I'll take it over to the window, if you don't mind. Yes, yes, very odd. The serial number's right, it, it looks perfect. Good crackle. Only one thing I can see wrong, there's a very small flaw here on the coat of arms on the left-hand side. Exactly. Try it on all our tellers, if you will, Mr. Burnett. Be casual about it. While you're away, I shall ring the CIB. Yes, sir. Detectives Benson and Riley came post-haste at the bank manager's call. And they sat with the manager in his office. When they'd examined the note, they looked at each other. Well, what do you think, Riley? I've never seen anything like it. I don't mind admitting I'd have passed it. Yeah, same here. You're in good company. It's been tried on all our tellers. Not one of them hesitated to change it. Who stopped it? I did. I suppose it's because I've a lot more experience than some of our men. Ah... Uh, this isn't going to be easy, cracking this one. You're telling us. The man who did this is an absolute past master in the art of photo engraving. Am I right in thinking that the only real flaw is on this coat of arms? Yes, Mr. Riley. Beyond that, it's perfect. It's the paper I can't understand. It's so good. Listen to that crackle. Uh, of course, I don't need to tell you that feel has a lot to do with detecting forgeries. 
It doesn't take long to sense automatically that crispness of a genuine banknote. And yet your tellers passed it. Every one of them, Mr. Benson. Well, it looks like a long road ahead. What do you think of this for a start, that the public are warned? I think it would be a very good idea. You see the serial number, V16, etc., is quite in order. That's current, is it? Yes. To the ordinary person, gentlemen, there's only one thing wrong with this tenor. It wasn't made at the government mint. <laughs> I wish you luck. Mm, thanks. Uh, you'll let us know. It, uh... As soon as we cite another one, of course. Uh, about that warning through the newspapers, I suggest as soon as possible. Today? Come on, Riley. The weights are up. And so the public was warned. It isn't every day of the week, of course, that we handle ten-pound notes. But we'd get a bit of a shock if we did try to change a forged one. Meanwhile, the long job of tracking down the forger started, and Detectives Benson and Riley soon had their first report to work on. Read what the boys in the back room said about our tenor? Yeah. The work of a past master, all right. Now, to pin down who it could be, let's look at that list of names, Riley. Mm-hmm. Any favourites? I've noticed you've marked yours. Yes, I agree with that. Um, these three uh, photo engravers are of middle European nationality. Yes, quite reasonable suspects. I, I don't think one of our local boys could turn up at a job like that. Oh, odds are some gang has one of these engravers on his payroll. They could afford to pay him well, considering the work he's turning out. Mm, big stuff. No fiddling about with Florence with this mob. By heck, it's going to be tough trying to fit this one, Riley. Well, where do we start? Keeping these three merchants under observation? Uh-huh. Let's go and see the chief. Keeping tabs on these boys is going to be a round-the-clock job for somebody. Well, looks like it's a washout, Riley, on those engravers. The chief's called the watchdogs off, eh? Yes, took them off this morning. What they've learnt by following them would fill a book, but it isn't very interesting. No clue to the forgery? Yeah. Well, what we do now... Uh, oh, excuse me. Benson speaking. Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, put him on. Oh, hello. Oh, yes. When was this? Yes, we'll be right down. Thanks. I... What's that? <laughs> Nothing so far. But what you've got might help us. We'll be there in ten minutes. Our friend the bank manager. Another phony tenor reported from Melbourne and one from Brisbane. Hmm. are starting to move, eh? Capital cities. Easier to pass. This looks like a big organisation, Riley. What about the serial numbers? All in order. Right down to the watermark. Now, who but the best forger in the world would try to reproduce a watermark? <laughs> Come on, let's go. The new forgeries were well-nigh perfect. The same slight flaw in the coat of arms was the only identification, without careful expert examination, that the note hadn't been made at the Mint. That was in November... In December, the chief of the CIB rang down to Detective Benson. Yes, sir. Ah, yes. 
How many? Oh, yes, it. You're right. We'll get onto it right away. What did the chief want? Me. To take charge of five more phony tenors. Oh, looks as if somebody's going to have a Merry Christmas. Uh, it's good money. It's our best break to date, though. Our only break. No, I don't see it. Oh, Christmas time. The gang will want to spend freely. They start tossing them about too freely. And that's when we walk in and grab them. Now, let's make the list of likely places where they'd be changed. Mm, uh, banks, obviously. Oh, I don't know. Risky. I'd put race courses first. Bookmakers always in a hurry. Departmental stores, big merchants. Oh, we'll get on to them all. What we need here is cooperation, and a lot of it. If once we can get hold of somebody passing one, he might spill the beans on the whole gang. Well, I'll take the bookies. They're going to hand out a lot of tennis over the... <clears throat> Benson speaking. Ah, oh, yes, sir. Yeah, yes, yes, coming right up, sir. Chief? Yes, reckons I'm slow. Hmm. Well, he's sitting waiting for me to take off the five phonies. Two more have come in. Looks like they're going to be as common as tote tickets before it's all over. They were discovered in a small but steady stream. Just when it seemed that perhaps the gang was lying low, another one would appear. The men of the CIB had their hands full, keeping the accurate tally of appearances. Now, look at this, will you? Just when we've decided the bases in Sydney, we've got a small crop in Newcastle. Happened last week. We're going to ask them down in Melbourne to move in on Sutter. And we've got three in Brisbane and one in Bathurst. Yes. Odd, you know. What's the deduction? No, darned if I know. No gang could be that big. It wouldn't pay. I'll go that far with you. They'd need too many paid helpers to pass them off. By this time, we should have grabbed one of them. Hmm. We've checked on every known photo engraver that there is. Right through the country, no dice. We've examined every possible system or, or setup that we've ever known or heard of in this racket. Still nothing. There's only one answer left, the way I see it. What? Imported stuff. It must be imported. Europe? Yes. Yeah. Now, you remember that big report we read way back about Hitler and his forgery gang? Oh, yes, I remember. He had uh, currency of every country made ready so that when he invaded, he could knock the currency for a loop with his phony stuff. That was it? Had some of his best scientists working on it, too. Uh, hey, wait a while. That, that doesn't add up. Why not? Well, the serial numbers on these phonies. How could Hitler or anybody... How could they have known ten years ago what numbers would be current today in Australia? Or maybe somebody out here has a suitcase full of the stuff and has been waiting for just this time to release it. Oh, don't make it too hard. We'd never catch him at that rate. It doesn't seem like it. Now, that's a thought. What? You said, never catch him. Now, why shouldn't this be the work of only one man? Why does it have to be a gang? Well, it doesn't have to be a gang. That adds up. The way they've been falling, one here, two there, another one a thousand miles away, and then a couple a few miles off. It's one man, Riley. Mr. One by One, eh? Eh? <coughs> yes, Mr. One by One. <laughs> by heck, what a hunt this is going to be. Well, he's as shrewd as a barrel full of monkeys, that's all I can say. He's going to be down to a fine art, eh? Manufacturing and distributing. Look, he could push out one a week for the rest of his life. And where would we get our break? Nowhere. Come on, we'll see the chief. Benson? 
Yes? Yes, where? Where was this? All right. We're on our way, Jack. Thanks. Thanks for the one real break we've had. That was Jack Cordner. They've discovered a horde of phony tenors down in Glebe. 185 of them. Now we're really on the trail of Mr. One by One. of Ford's tenors had been found by two council employees. It was purely an accident, but the men of the CIB knew how to capitalize on chance happenings like that. So that's the way it was, Riley. The council employees saw this nut here hmm. protruding from this iron air vent. Gave it a pull and out came the air vent hmm. and a sock. And in the sock, 185 tenors. Yes. Not a bad haul, if they've been genuine. Listen, uh, you uh, setting a watch on this um, secret hoard? Ah, yes, constant watch, night and day. And if our Mr. One by One comes back, well, that's when we move in. But Mr. One by One did not come back. The CIB watched the secret hoard for nearly three weeks. But nobody was seen coming near the air vent or tampering with it in any way. Meanwhile, Detectives Benson and Riley had not been idle. Our fellow must be wary, Riley. I don't think he'll go near that hiding place now. No. Maybe he reckons he can afford to uh, let them go anyhow. Eh? Yes, he probably can. <laughs> and the rate he's turning them out. And the perfection of the job. What's the tally now? Now, let's see. Uh, two months ago, it was uh, 114 passed in 20 months. Mm. But in the last two months, we've seen the average go up. He's passed 70 in eight weeks. Well, that, that's nearly 90 pounds a week. That's good money, earned or not. Good money, all right. <laughs> what I'm trying to make out is is how he can change them in such varied spots, mm. here, there, and everywhere. He must travel around like a salesman. Risky, too, carrying so many on him, you know. Hmm. Anyhow, let's look at this report. Yeah. What is it? Well, I, I asked the office to make out the complete list of known forgers, whether in jail or not. Mm. Anything of interest? Yeah, just a moment. Oh, now, here, here is the list of forgers not at present in jail. Hmm. Well, what do we do with this? Check through and find where they are? Anything for it. One of them must be our man. Mm. Or should be, anyhow. Or unless there's a newcomer on the scene. Yeah, could be. Always the chance of a newcomer, I suppose. Ah, but the work is so good. It's probably an old hand. Mm. Don't forget there's a past master at work. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's done this sort of thing and, and maybe time out of the bay before. Mm. The detectives checked through the list. It was a long job. Finally, they came to one name they couldn't check on. And the name was 
Edward Charles Wilson. Ah, no sign of him. I couldn't get a lead anywhere on Wilson. You couldn't, eh? No. Well, let's look at his file. Hmm, no. no. got two years in 1949 for forging tote tickets. Yeah. Not a bad job done of him, either. Uh, were you in on that? Uh, no, no. I, no, I was on leave at the time, I remember. All right. He's the only need we have. The only chance we've got, correct? Mm, well, we've accounted for everybody else. So it's either Wilson or uh, a newcomer. We'll forget the newcomer. We'll look for Wilson. No. And I think the logical place is round the neighbourhood of the hiding place at Glebe. The detectives started their patrol of the Glebe district. It was efficient and unobtrusive, and finally, it got results. Benson, he's right across the street. Uh -huh. uh, don't, don't look. On your right. Coming this way? No, no. Turning down into Wattle Street. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Well? Which one? The old dark blue suit? Yeah, that's it. Right. You go after him. I'll trail behind you. And I hope he leads us in the right direction. To the hiding place? I doubt if he'll do that. But maybe he lives in that house. On your way. Edward Charles Wilson was followed as he went about Glebe, peacefully attending to his personal affairs. Finally, he turned in at an old house. The house where he lived? Ah, the wrong place. Ah, not so far from the hiding place, sir. Ah, he could easily be the man to have planted the stuff there. Yes, true enough. Well, he's the only lead we've got, so we better use him. Another round-the-clock job, eh? Yes. And if we follow him long enough, he may lead us somewhere. Yeah. At the rate he's putting the tenors on the market now, it may not be so long at that. Edward Charles Wilson had no knowledge that his every move was watched by the men of the CIB. He had only to set foot outside his door and they knew exactly what he did until the time he got back again. And the report that Detectives Benson and Riley were making started to make interesting readings. What do you make of it, Benson? This uh, constant visiting the post offices. I think what you think, that the letters he picks up contain the forged tenors. Am I right? I think so, yeah. Clever, though. Mm -hmm. It means, too, that he uh, never has more than one on him at a time. Mm -hmm. No good trying to catch him with a load of the stuff. We found out that the names he uses are false names. That means organization. Making note of the post office and the name he's put on the letter to be picked up. Well, do we move in yet? We'll get a couple of those envelopes first. Mm. Nothing like a bit of evidence to wave in his face, if it eventually comes to that. Can you see him? Yes. He's at the counter now. Another packet? Yes. Similar type to the others. Which way is he coming out? The, the other door. Oh. We'll amble along behind, and if he throws the wrappings away... We are not too proud to pick it up. Opening it now. Oh, yeah. Look out. He's stopping. 
Into this doorway. Right, right. You open the packet? Yes. Moving on now. Come on. Hey, listen. If he doesn't throw the wrapping away, I vote we move in anyhow. This is good. There it goes. Look, in the gutter. Pick it up as we go past, Riley. Right. right. Into this doorway with it. Yeah, it's what we want, all right. Uh, addressed to Mr. E.C. Morgan. You want to lay a bet that this package contained phony tenors? <laughs> yeah, and I'll pay you in phony tenors, too. <laughs> Come on, let's get back to headquarters. Now we can move in on him at our leisure. Wilson's a bit shy of visitors. He's here, all right. Can't hear anything, can you? No, not a sound. Come on inside, open this door. Who is it? Right the other side of the door. Wilson, open this door. busy. What do you want? Are you Edward Charles Wilson? Yes. Don't you remember me, Wilson? You're Riley. Detective Riley. That's right. What do you want? We're coming in. We have a warrant here. A warrant for your arrest. Hmm. Come in, then. Ah, that's a nice little place you have here. Why have you come to arrest me? We believe you're responsible for the counterfeit tenors that are being pushed out. Are you? Can't be tenors, that's silly. Yes, it might be. And we might have made a mistake. We're going to search this place, Wilson. I can't stop you, can I? No, you can't. All right, Riley, let's see what we can find. You want any help? You can sit there, on that chair over there. You won't find anything in this place to connect me with forged tenors. I know nothing about it. We'll soon find out, won't we? Why do you pick on me? It could be anybody. True. Anything in there, Riley? No, nothing. No equipment of any kind, Benson. And there's nothing in here. Oh, you're wasting your time. I don't know why you should... Why you should have got a warrant out for arrest. Maybe we thought we had something to go on. There's the books to... Uh, what's this box? Leave that alone. Sit down, sit down. <laughs> well, well, well. Tenors. Beautiful new phony tenors. How many here, Wilson? Over 400. Oh. <laughs> hey, they got the right sound, too. You know, you don't know just how good you are, Wilson. Yes, I do. All right. Where's the equipment? Above you. What? Oh, there's an attic up there. Yeah. I see the way. I'll go and have a look. They're good, aren't they? Very good. Why did you do it, Wilson? I wanted money. I suppose we all do. I wanted money for a special purpose. I haven't wasted one penny of what I got. What special purpose? I'm working on some inventions. They cost money to finance. Uh, what sort of inventions? Oh, all sorts. From work on cosmic rays to rain-making experiments. It's expensive. It costs money to experiment. Having any success? Who knows? Experiments are never ended. No, you just... Keep going. And meanwhile, you were making our currency look silly. 
You mean to say this was more or less a spare time occupation while you carried on with your experiments? Yes, I didn't need a huge fortune, just enough to finance the things I had to buy from time to time. Well, I'll be darned. <laughs> What's funny about it? <laughs> we had you taped as a huge gang. International crooks, the works. And all the time you just wanted a steady income so you could carry out a few experiments. To me, they were important experiments. I'm glad you said were, because those days are over. Riley! Bring Wilson up here, Benson. Oh, a perfect setup. Now, coming. Much stuff up there. Much stuff. Heck, there's hardly any. He's been turning out tenors with stuff that you could fit into a small suitcase. It was true. Cheap enamel dishes, special developing paper, cameras, ink plates, acids and mirrors seemed to be practically all that Edward Charles Wilson needed. Wilson, how did you do it? I studied. I studied for six months. First at the public library. I know as much about this game as any master engraver. In fact, when you come to consider it, I am a master engraver, aren't I? And so the master engraver was brought to justice. The Crown Prosecutor joined with Wilson's defence counsel in agreeing that Wilson was a frustrated scientist who had a natural flair for invention. In other fields, Edward Charles Wilson could have gone a long way. As it was, the men of your CIB had brought him to court to hear from the judge that he was to serve seven years jail. And that was the end of... Mr. One by One. Welcome back. The title of this episode and the criminal's nickname was inspired by a 1942 novelty song hit, Mr. Five by Five, with the famous chorus, Mr. Five by Five. He's five feet tall and he's five feet wide. He don't measure no more from head to toe than he do from side to side. The episode had a somewhat Dragnet-esque feel. An Australian version of Dragnet was produced by Grace Gibson Production with an Australian cast and aired in 1952. In addition, Dragnet newspaper strips made their way to Australia from the U.S. and were reprinted as comic books. So the overall feel and approach of Dragnet would have been familiar to Australian audiences. It was an interesting investigation, and while thanks to the narrator, we knew what they'd find eventually, it was interesting to see how the process played out for them to solve the case. I was initially confused by the use of pounds in the episode, but I found out that Australia had its own pound until 1966 when it changed to the current Australian dollar. So I hope you enjoyed this little random obscurity. It was, I think, a really entertaining listen to a forgotten Australian radio program. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day.
I want to go ahead and thank William. William has been one of our Patreon supporters since July, currently supporting us at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, William. And that will actually do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're listening on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We will be featuring Sunday Encores through the rest of December. But join us back here tomorrow for the Adventures of the Falcon, where... Danny, I'm not being funny. I didn't intend it to be. Why don't you get wise to yourself? What? It's time you grew up. Try to be a man for a change and not a, a sniveling brat. Oh, I'm glad to find out what you think of me, Gloria. Oh, Danny, don't you see she's only telling you that for your own good? Oh, don't argue with him, Nancy. It isn't worth the effort. He'll go along all his life feeling sorry for himself, wondering why everybody picks on him. Well, I've seen kids of ten with more stuff than he's got. Anything else you'd care to add? No, I've said my piece, Danny. Anytime you want to go, it's perfectly all right with me. Thanks for your permission, dear. Mike, don't let him. Danny, where'd you get that gun? It's yours. I got it out of your desk drawer. Let me have it. I'm sorry, friend. No can do. Danny, I want you to give me that gun. Now, Mike, you've been swelling me, so please don't make me do something I'll be sorry for. Now, stay where you are. Are you going to give me that gun? I'll come closer next time, Mike. Danny, listen to me. I have, Gloria, and I've taken it very much to heart. So I'm just a kid making big talk, am I? Well, watch me change to a man of action. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.